Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. It's not about making game. You don't woe them in, into a point when they're making game. It's about allowing that dog to work out that situation once it starts making game, and hopefully it finds point, makes point, and it establishes its understanding of how close it can work in before the bird flushes or what it can do once it starts getting in that scent before it overpressures the bird and it learns from the bird in the scenario. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch, rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. We are joined with my long-lost buddy, Austin Peak here. Austin, how you doing, man? Doing great as always, man. How you doing? Great. All, always a pleasure to have you back on and, and shooting the bull with you. It's uh, I think this one's going to be fun because, believe it or not, what would you guess one of the most popular episodes that I get referenced quite often, even just three and a half years removed? Well, since I'm here to talk about the woe, uh, you know, command, I would I would say it's probably that, but um, it doesn't surprise me if that's the answer, considering how it's such a foundational thing for these pointing dogs. Yep, and it's it's kind of interesting to me that people still reference that because that was I I should have looked at the episode number before we got going, but I want to say it was like number five, six, seven, somewhere in there. It was but early. The point is, is it was one of our first ones. The audio quality scares me to even go back and listen to it at this point, as well as our experience level and not knowing anything <laughs> four, right. four years ago. Uh, so I thought with kicking off this whole brand new Woe series that I'm doing with, with a whole bunch of different people that's going to mm-hmm. address all the main methods and, and kind of known methods out there of training Woe, I thought it would be fun to kick off the series, kind of turning back the clock, having you come back on, and maybe we readdress some of the uh, some of the ways that we at least thought of Woe and how we trained it back in the day and kind of compare and contrast to what what we now know better to do or not do now. Does yeah, that make man. sense? Sounds like a plan. <laughs> if we were going to kind of, you know, replay the old episode, I remember we did it at Joe's house and we ordered smoking thighs. Oh, and dude. man, that was a hit. The dump <laughs> truck, uh, you know, if you go to smoking thighs and you order it in the, in the restaurant, you, they bring it out in a Tonka truck <laughs> and they call it the dump truck. Right. And we got it to go. Oh, that was a hit for that episode. I forgot all about that yep. because we we ended up getting that a number of times after that because it was just a giant batch of just smoked wing or smoked chicken thighs and wings and stuff with a whole bunch of toppings, dude. That why didn't you remember that? Why didn't you bring I that down with you? I just thought of that. <laughs> I just thought of that. I swear. I'd, so yeah, should have brought that down here. Man, so. it, right now, I just want to stop this recording and go get some, <laughs> man. Uh, 
we won't do that though. So, but first, like before we kind of jump into into the woe and everything, I, I need a recap. You know, how was your hunting season? You you had you had a bunch of exciting stuff coming up. You for for the listeners that don't know, I can't remember if we talked about it the last time you sh- you came on the podcast. Uh, you purchased a duck camp with with a group of buddies, and yep. so you were kind of salivating and and just you were itching to get to duck season. So, like, walk me through the process of buying the duck camp and did it live up to your expectations or hopes man um that would be a very long conversation (laughs) if i went through all of it but i mean long story short is uh i've got a group of buddies that we've hunted out in uh, arkansas um, together for a handful of years and basically we decided to try to get something out in uh northwest tennessee and an opportunity arose and and we got together and and bought something and you know we we didn't we didn't know a ton about it we knew the area um but uh the place that we purchased it was a a duck camp that was established a long time ago and and the guys that had basically ran the place had gotten old and and not hunted it in the past 15 years plus and so uh it was in a target rich environment and I remember that's what I said last time, uh, you know, I was on. And so I was excited about that. And I mean, it was, I'll tell you what, there was the first three hunts that we had out there this year. I was like, y'all, if this is what we can expect every single time, I was like, I would, doesn't matter what we're paying for it. It was worth it, right? <laughs> like, so, but, the, but, you know, of course, things are hot early in, in duck season. That's just how things work. Um, and then things kind of, you need some weather to, to cooperate. And, and, uh, luckily we got some fronts that moved in and different things, but we had a great season. And, and, and in my mind, you know, uh, we had a, an amazing time and, and, uh, very fortunate that it all worked out. And so spent many a night in a old cabin that was you know you have might have a mouse a mouse run across your face or something <laughs> while you're asleep but it was fun you know we're, we're just still learning the area and uh and you know the the dogs did great um you know one of the guys that's on it he uh he was so fired up about the dog work. He's like, I got to get my own my own dog. So now he's got a poodle uh, pointer that he got that, bit by the bug. Yeah, man. You know how it goes. So um, it, it worked out, and uh, we're just fired up about it. We've got all kinds of plans. I mean, we just you know duck season just ended, and we're we already have plans that uh, we're putting into place for yeah. for next year, and and uh, the projects are underway, man. That's awesome. It's amazing going back to, you know, when we first started this thing years ago and fast forward to now, like the fact that like you're so ingrained in, in waterfowl. I think at the time when we started this, you weren't even duck hunting. And I told you all along, I'm like, dude, you're a duck hunter. Like I know as soon as, <laughs> as soon as you go give it a shot and try it, like you're going to yeah. get hooked. Uh, but I saw pictures of it. I haven't been up there yet. We've been talking about, you know, trying to get up there and, and yeah. tour it. But the pictures of the cabin looks awesome. Like you said, it's no it's no fancy digs. It's no fancy shakes or anything like that. But that's kind of what's going to make this fun as y'all kind of grow it and build it yeah. into what you guys want or, or need. Is going to be fun looking back at some of those pictures and just the fact that, like, Y'all just kind of roughed it the first year or two. Yep. And so uh, obviously we can't go into the entire story, but it, for the people listening, I guarantee you there's somebody out there listening that's just dreams of owning their own duck camp at some point. Yeah. If you could give somebody like just your top advice or considerations, kind of figuring this out as you've been dealing, because you've been dealing with foresters, biologists, obviously, you know, lending and all that stuff to, to make it happen. What's the, in your, your opinion, in your limited experience, what's, what that was like the most overlooked aspect of this experience? Well, let, let me kind of take it back to the initial process where, you know, we're trying to decide what habitat I think is where you start, uh, because there's such a variety of different types of waterfowling that you can do. And so, you know, you got to make sure you have a, a good group of guys if you're buying it with multiple people. We we had a group of me included, included four guys. And so, um, you know, we had been hunting fields in Arkansas. A few guys had hunted timber and, and we had looked at some places and it's not just, you know, it's a process. It's like buying a house, right? I mean, you're not going to usually buy the first one that you see. You know, mm-hmm. you have something that, that you have in mind. And at the end of the day, uh, you want to make sure that you have all of your, 
you know, boxes, so to speak, to check off before you really take a property seriously. And so we decided that um, basically after looking at some, some properties that timber was what we wanted to try to purchase, some, some, some um, flooded timber. And so um, that's what we ended up finding. And uh, it's, it is a very long story. I'm not going to get into about how we got, uh, you know, that, that piece on our radar. But at the end of the day, when we got out there and looked at it and saw kind of the cypress, uh, it's a, it's a lot of cypress breaks. Um, you know, it's a, it's a swamp that's full of, of cypress and tupelo and some hardwoods and some, uh, certain areas of the property. And so, um, there's, I mean, that's basically the main habitat. And once we saw it, it was like, all right, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. And it backs <laughs> up to public land, doesn't it? So you yeah. guys can technically access even more acreage and areas to hunt through y'all's property. Is that right? Yeah, and that was important, too. It cuts both ways. I mean, that, that cuts both ways to the extent that, number one, you know, part of having private, you know, duck property is that you don't have the pressure that a lot of the wetland public lands um experience. And, and so that's one of the reasons why waterfowling, it's, it's kind of a crazy world once you start looking into it pretty deep that there's only a limited amount of access of water habitat, right? And so in certain areas of the world, things are, uh, you know, it's just like people are going to burn spots upland hunting, people are going to burn spots, you know, when you're waterfowling too. But when you're in the, in the hot spot areas, there's only really limited amounts of certain types of habitat that a lot of people just go to. So what I'm getting at is uh, we bought it knowing that we had kind of priority access to some public spots in case things weren't happening on our place, we could kind of get to public. But we also knew that, you know, certain parts of the area, we are probably going to feel pressure from the public as well yeah. that are that are going to be on that edge. But, yeah, I mean... Y'all know that going in. Yeah, we knew, we knew it. And we didn't honestly experience it to the extent that I was kind of worried about. But um, it was all kind of it was all a calculated decision that was made and, and we were happy with how everything shook, you know, shook out this year. Mm. So, well, that's cool, man. I, I, I got some of the highlights and pictures throughout the season. So, I mean, it looked like y'all had some really yeah. just knockout hunts. And of course, you know, you know, a little bit slower hunts, which is going to happen in Tennessee, but it, you know, Western Tennessee is a little different than the rest of the state, yeah. uh, especially with this year, you know, the migration and weather, but also at the same time, are you really a duck hunter if you go a season without complaining about a migration pattern or <laughs> right. weather pattern? Well, like I told you, dude, this year, I would take this year, uh, you know, for for the amount of time that I've been waterfowling, I'd take this year over any year as far as what the, uh, as far as what we experienced with duck numbers coming in um, mid-season. We, we got a really good push just because of some crazy, like, historic freeze that, that happened, you know, <laughs> the week of Christmas. Yeah. And, and so usually that week between Christmas and New Year's is pretty hot, but this year it was just a, I mean, we're talking in Tennessee, you know, we had six to eight inches of ice in, in our bottoms, mm-hmm. you know, and it was... I think it was down to like six or eight degrees down here that week at, here oh, at my yeah. place. I mean, it, it got cold, which, you know, other places in the country, they're laughing at us. But for Tennessee, that's not normal. No, not at all. And, and you know, we're, we're out there. We don't know what we're... You know, this is all new property, all new experience. We got an ice eater that we put out in the bottoms trying to get it broken up. And, you know, we got some, some ducks to work for us and all that. But it's tough when you're hunting bottom land, at least in this part of the world, where uh, hunting the thaw is what you want to do, not actually like deer in the freeze yeah, you know and right. so that's what we were kind of fighting mother nature there but that's what you have to do when you only have a certain amount of days you can hunt and uh you know um have to work on on the days when when it's you know prime yeah. but that's what we did and it and it, it was great so uh, we had a great time well, it's it's one of those things. I need to get up there, you know, maybe get like all you guys on, and, and we can do an episode on like duck camp etiquette and duck camp, like setting it up and all that stuff and rules. But uh, obviously, we're not here today to talk about that. But one thing I will say this I find interesting about you guys at duck camp is correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think any of the owners or people that joined up with you guys they don't have a lab or a, a, a retriever breed. Yeah. All the dogs involved in this are versatile breeds. You got yeah. your two short hairs. You got a, a, 
uh, Jorvik the Drot, and then the Poodle Pointer you referenced. Is it? Am I missing another dog in this no, equation? That, that's it. Um, so yeah, those are the. That's the. Yeah, it's versatile breed camp, and you know we got guys that are local that using our ramp to kind of access, you know, the area guys got a lab, you know, and it's kind of, you know, there wasn't, I mean, it's just kind of the typical thing, you know, like I said last time in anywhere, anywhere that there's kind of major waterfowling going on, everybody's got their black lab that picks up ducks for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So it's just, it was a thing where, you know, they come down and one day I'm there and I've got, you know, scout one day I'm there and the neighbors see me with cash. And then one day <laughs> I'm there and I hunted Jorvik and they're like, dang you know these guys are these guys are running dogs that i've never seen but uh no one made a big deal about it but it was just different and then next year you'll have the poodle pointer pup out there yeah and so what i'm getting at is you guys have a duck camp but you're gonna have a bunch of dogs that know whoa right yeah and and so that's kind of how i'm going to transition into this whether it's smooth or not right that was uh, a hell of a segue (laughs) yeah so Man, let's let's jump on into Woe. There's really nowhere else to start, but what is Woe? Like, define Woe in Austin Peak's words. Yeah, Woe, to me, is a command that you say when you want your dog to not move a muscle. When, when that dog's supposed to stack up and stay that way um, for uh, until it's released. And, um, you know, I know some people associate it primarily with on game, you know, scenarios as far as if you're in the field or not. But, um, and I can't, we probably hit on this in the first episode, but I mean, I, we, I use it as an obedience command, um, in multiple scenarios. For example, when we were on the way to come over here today, I heal my dogs out to the front porch and tell them, whoa. And then I go and lock up the front door and I turn around and cash sees the dogs across the street that are outside in the front yard and he starts to take off and I have to yell him, whoa, you know, yell whoa to him and he stopped. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a command, it's an obedience command that, uh, when you overlay in some hunting scenarios, obviously it helps out provide additional opportunities or the correct type of, uh, dog work to, to allow the proper presentation out, out in the field. Yeah. And that's a very good point. You know, that's one of the biggest and I'm not going to say the biggest, but it is a big benefit of a dog is you just have that tool in your toolbox to stop your dog for, in this instance, in this example, running across the street to deal with another dog. You know, there's a, there's a couple things in that situation, stranger dog that could result in in a fight potentially and and some, you know, stuff and drama you don't want to deal with, but also the dogs crossing the street to get to those other dogs. There's could be a car coming. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times have we seen to where a dog is going crazy, it's running even in the field or, or just around the house, they're not responding to the owner like, hey, Fifi, you know, come here, come here, stop, <laughs> right. Fifi. Yeah, but yeah. then you yell, whoa, yeah. and they stop. And so, like, you know, we've seen it numerous times to where dogs will respond to whoa quicker than they do their names sometimes, yeah. especially if it's watered down on, you know, we t- talk about consistency and, and making your commands count or cues, whatever you want to call them. And uh, that's a perfect example of another side benefit of woe to where, like you're saying, it's not always on game in the field. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it's an obedience command yeah. is what it is. And, you know, we can kind of jump into this, but at, at the end of the day, you see these folks that as soon as their dog hits a point, they start saying woe and yeah. all that. And I mean, it, it's... It, that is thing that's what happens if you've got that foundation established you know to be able to extend the the steadiness sequence and things but you know you got to start with basic obedience and and forming that understanding before taking it out to yeah. the field and what's really interesting is is we kind of did this series uh, a little backwards so i've recorded all of the other episodes in this entire series and then the one we're leading off with is with you. It's the last one. And so I've, the only thing that I've kind of kept consistent in all of them is asking, what's your definition of woe? Mm-hmm. And while they're all similar, I don't think, I can't recall any two trainers throughout the next group of episodes 
defining it in the same way. Yeah, and, okay. and, and that's why I find stuff like this so interesting. And that that's also why I think it's so important to start with just the terminology and definitions because the end result is the same. Everybody wants that dog, whether they're moving or not, to just stop and freeze and they don't move a muscle, right? right. So the end result is there. But the way people define it and look at it, it's completely different on who you ask. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we should take whoever the professional trainer's opinions were that you talked to. <laughs> no, sir, man. This, the, the, this is true GDIY, right? Here. Yeah. This is what, what got the podcast started. Uh, but to your point, I want I want to go back down where you're starting to go to is when when you hear uh, or see somebody in the field with their dog and the dog goes on point and they immediately start saying, whoa. To me, I, I don't know if you agree, this is kind of one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody, a dog is on point and they're not moving a muscle and all you hear constantly until they get up and the bird flushes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this is something when we first started out doing all of this, you and I used to do that. A hundred percent. You know, I, I sent you a video a couple months ago that oh, I yeah. randomly dug up of with us in the field with Rachel, my dog, and you were in front of her holding your hand up like a crossing guard saying, stop. And you were just going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was just sitting there, you know, I had it on my phone and it cracked me up because at the moment in the time, like we truly thought we were doing it the right way and how you're supposed to do it. You see it on social media, you see it on different videos and stuff like that. And really, all you, all we were accomplishing right there was wasting our breath and watering down a command to where it meant nothing to her. Again, though, I think it gets back to who you're talking to and, you know, the methods that that person has used. Because at the end of the day, if you talk to old school wild bird hunters, you know, they're, they're likely, you know, their dogs know whoa, but a lot of the times they're just overlaying that in the field whenever the opportunity presents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why I know I did it that way at the beginning is because I was told that by my father, you know, and watching (laughs) how things we did in the past. And so I agree with your take on it at this point that if we're going to establish this as an obedience command, you're supposed to be able to say it one time, be able to enforce it if it's not complied with, and that at the end of the day, the woe is not what establishes the point, and what it's it's what extends, you know, the sequence. Yes, if needed. Yeah. Right. And, and I remember when we started doing this, and I mean, kind of the catalyst that led to the podcast is me and you, amongst others, would debate these things. Right. We would have these conversations and discussions of what we thought we were supposed to do or not do, and and uh, you know something like this would come up on, on regular basis to where you know it's like okay. You don't woe the dog into a point, but do you have to say it to extend the steadiness? And, it, and you know, fast forward now, we have a completely different knowledge base and how we look at this stuff. And from our personal experience, from talking to all these people on the podcast, from reading books and just seeing higher quality work and, and surrounding ourselves by b- better caliber dogs or at least finished dogs Mm -hmm. uh i I think that's why i I wanted you to come down because now we have that perspective of where we recorded the episode years ago and a lot of that stuff is probably still applicable you know especially the house stuff but our outlook on on the use of woe and what it is really the benefit of it in the long run is to your point extending that steadiness if required does that make any sense yeah, because, I mean, in my head, you know, if if I'm using woe or if I'm training, let's talk about just like all this kind of bleeds into steadiness for me when I'm talking about woe and, and talking about, you know, the sequence that, that I keep, you know, referencing. It, really, you know, to me, woe is establishing that command where they're going to stand there. But at the end of the day, when you start now the way that I've trained it since then, when I'm starting to extend that sequence to where after the flush, they're still standing. Um, it's, it's more about overlaying that command with a scenario in the field so that you don't end up having to use the command. And I, I don't know if I'm articulating that the right way, but I, I'm, I keep going back to like stop the flush drills or like, um, things like that where we're overlaying the command to where the dog associates birds flying, 
I'm stopping and, you know, doing it that way, as opposed to what we're probably going to get into later on in the, in the discussion of saying, whoa, and then burning your dog if it, if it, if it yeah. moves. And so I didn't know, I don't know if that's where you no, want me to go a, with the question. That's exactly but, where I was headed right yeah. there is because there's so many more uses than just your dog going on point and you saying, whoa, and to your point, kind of how we were taught or, or initially started studying this years ago is we were told like train woe and then you go put them on a bird, you know, mm-hmm. they're on point and then you just correct the woe mm-hmm. when the bird flies. And, and you know what, to, in, in defense, we actually passed the utility test by doing that manner. Like we eventually got there, uh, but we've kind of since learned a bunch more uh, or I don't, I don't even know the correct word, but natural way maybe of doing this, but it still uses woe. But to your point, you're, you're overlaying it in different ways, whether it's from a place board, whether it's on stop to flush, there's a bunch, bunch of different ways that you can utilize woe besides just using it on point and then reinforcing it all the way through. And then with enough reps, you end up with a steady dog. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the, you know, you use the word natural earlier, but I think that's kind of what happens when we're trying to, like, as you learn how to do this and get more experience, you're trying to do, accomplish the behavior in a way, and we've talked about this before, uh, that has the least amount of pressure on the animal, on the dog, right? And so, like, doing it, the methods that we've done it in the past accomplishes the goal, but if you have more, you know, ability more ways to do it and overlay the behavior that you want and and less intrusive or or um you know other types of ways i mean that that i feel like now having more knowledge is the best way to do it Mm -hmm. yeah and so to try and and clear this up a little bit maybe somebody's listening they're like what the heck are they talking about let's talk about how we trained whoa years ago Mm -hmm. all right and I'll start it off. So I did the walking heel method. Mm -hmm. And obviously, by the definition, you have to have a heel on this. It worked. I trained both my dogs, Rachel and Lucy, on it uh, this way. And it it worked. There's some clear holes in it, I would say, from time to time on it. You know, they can get get a little sloppy on it. Like, I need to dress them up. But I think that's true in in really kind of all methods to some extent, maybe some more so than others. But what I would do is I created the suitcase handle, right? Do you remember that? So, like, I I had the heel, and I would use a long check cord to where I had enough slack to where I could do a half hitch around their belly, but that left enough of a loop or a handle, so to speak, uh, over the top of their back. And then I would heel them, and I, I literally would just be walking at heel, and then I would just say, whoa, and then just tug up on that suitcase handle. And it would immediately stop their feet. And then I would stand there and then I would extend the duration. And then I would, we would not leave that position without me giving the release command, which was just go on, right? And then I would just repetition over and over and over. And so I extended the duration and then I got to where I was extending the distance because I had the check cord. I was able to do it and then I would circle them, right? And then I would do it from a distance. And then I would do, I did it when they were dragging the check cord. And then I took the check cord off and, you know, proofed it. And then I overlaid the e-collar with the whole thing going back to the check cord. So I summed up my, the way I trained Woe in just whatever that was, a minute, minute and a half. And again, it resulted, I got the Woe, you know, you've seen them. There's, they have a, a solid Woe, but again, it, I think there was, especially with Lucy, you know, it's like she ended up uh, in the long run having like a step or two, which mm-hmm. not the end of the world. I didn't really, it didn't really bother me. So I never really addressed it. I probably could have fixed it if I d- did, but that's how I trained Woe four or five years ago. Nothing wrong with it. It's proven. It works. But as I've been into this and we'll go into all the other methods in, in the weeks to come, I think there's a better way of doing it. Yeah. So. How did you train Woe? Because you went with the prong collar, correct? I did, yeah. But it was similar concept. I, I did a prong collar, did not use the um, the hitch under the, the belly. What did you call it? The so, half the, hitch. The half hitch, yeah. Um, sorry, I had a, had a brain fart there. But <laughs> uh, didn't use the half hitch. I, I did 
similar to a, a walking woe, but honestly, I was like trying to just create movement and trying to like at first it was more like a healing type scenario, but it, I would basically just be pulling the dog along me and I would stop and say, whoa, and then um, started moving faster and I would give a tug on that collar when I would stop and say, you know, I would overlay, whoa. And uh, it, it worked. And, and I mean, I ended up using a long check cord and we would run around the backyard and then I would say, whoa, pull that collar and the dog would stop. I taught both my dogs to do it that way. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I, you, you're the expert on a lot of different methods on this now. I don't know about expert, right? but, <laughs> but those have worked for me. And um, if we're talking about just establishing what the command means and, you know, making sure that the dog understands it, honestly, like, I'm not so sure that that's not a, a bad method. Like, I'm saying I may end up doing something very similar just to establish the initial behavior even today, mm-hmm. okay? Again, you're the, you're the, <laughs> you, you, you've looked into this and, and you know, um, really expanded your education on that early, you know, uh, developmental concept for the dogs more than I have. But, um, you know, I think that me now, I have a greater appreciation for when you have dogs that have a little higher drive or may have a little bit of that stubbornness in them, uh, you know, trying to figure out different ways to teach that. And I said I taught both dogs that way, but I also had to use, at least with cash, additional methods and uh, that's where i was going to because cash has a higher drive than scout yeah and so i was going to ask how did that compare uh with both of the different mentalities of your dogs right and so there comes a point where it's when you when you teach the concept and the command and you know that they have an understanding you can sometimes work through it easier on some dogs that um you know there, you can try to trip them up and, and try to create a scenario for correction. And it's just, it, it's with Scott, it was easy. He wasn't, he wasn't really screwing it up, but with cash, he would try to take, you know, you give him an inch, he takes a mile type scenario. And so, <laughs> um, what, what I did, it wasn't necessarily a place board method, but, um, I ended up putting him on, uh, my force fetch table and using that as like a walking hill and then we get to the end of the table and overlaying the woe where he's got to do a hard stop on the end of the table so it gave him a very clear defined location to where like if you don't stop moving your feet you're going off the table right and then um if i wanted to create more of a, a movement area for him when i'm establishing that command to where he goes faster uh, and, and this is me just, I've never heard of this method, but it's something I just did in the backyard. But I, I would, I had a hose that I just had in the backyard that I would create like just a little barrier and get him moving, running around in the backyard. And right when he's coming up to that just visual barrier overlaying a woe to make him stop, you know, mm-hmm. and giving a tug. So on. you use the hose to essentially like draw a line. Create a visual ground. line yeah. there. And my, my point with that was, it allowed us to run around, have a lot bigger area to create faster movement, but still gave a hard line for him to associate the stop with on the woe. Gotcha. And so um, just a little creativity there. But the point was being able to say, okay, or show, okay, here is, woe's a hard stop. I mean, that's, there's, you come to the end of the line, that's it, you know. And so that was something else that I did to help establish the command and and show the dog okay from an obedient standpoint whoa means whoa we're not moving as soon as you as soon as you hear the command yeah and so there there are pros and cons to both of these methods you know it like you said you had to adjust a little bit you had to get a little creative with uh with cash but that's also one of the pros to both of these methods in my opinion is it's very friendly to the person just doing it in their backyard, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't need a lot of space or anything like that. Uh, you can, you just need a check cord and essentially you can go do it in your backyard and you can build off of it and build off of it and build off of it and then just change locations later and then overlay your birds, whatever you need to. So it clearly worked for both of us. The cons, at least on mine, 
and we'll, we'll get to yours if you have any on yours. But on mine, I noticed at least, you know, I've helped a number of people train their dogs this way, you know, a couple of years ago. It's, it's, you know, now it's a much longer conversation trying to find the right method for the right person or dog. But at the time I was helping a lot of people train woe and at the, you know, it's like, Hey, how do you train woe? It's like, well, I'll show you how I do it. So you end up helping a lot of people. The one thing I noticed as more and more dogs that I was helping do this is some dogs would get a little sticky. Mm-hmm. All right. And it makes sense to me now. And at the time I wasn't really putting two and two together. It's like, you know, the dog would have plenty of range and go as normal, but then you tell somebody, Hey, train heel so that we can get to woe, right? So that you can start training woe. Then you go into woe after that. That's a that's a lot of pressure and a lot of repetitions with the dog right by your side that's requiring them to stay close to you and stay by your side. You know, you're woeing them. And so there's a lot of time and repetitions that you're literally having all that movement so close to you that you do kind of with some dogs and different and dog personalities that you do end up with a dog that's quote unquote sticky. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I I think that you just, again, it's about knowing the dog that you got in front of you, getting down to the nuance of whether you understand that that dog is going to associate that, oh, I need to be near the, the, you know, the handler when, when you're training or not. Uh, And I think a lot of this though has to do with the maturity and the age of the dog as well. And so, you know, if, if, with my dogs, I trained them um, as young pups, basically. And so, when you I, say young pups, I, yeah, let me let me rephrase. I would say I did not start hard when I, not even hard obedience, but formalized obedience training until about five months old. I was going to say five, six months somewhere yeah. in there. And so, um, and and I did it just like you talked about, where it was heel. And then after heel, it was woe. And that was because the methods, uh, the, the woe method that I used, mm-hmm. you know. And so it had to have the heel to be able to, to, to get the dog to move and then um, be able to, you know, establish uh, the, the woe on the, on the walking woe method. But, um, you know, I remember, and I'm just kind of flashing back to, to the last, you know, episode we did on this years ago now, but... At the time, I remember we, there was discussion about people using barrels, right? Yeah. You know, do you teach woe on a barrel? And I remember I used to talk major crap about this <laughs> method, right? It, but, I mean, again, I think that, again, I get to this spot where when I think of woe, it's, if I'm talking about woe, it's talking about just the command. When I talk about, you know, using barrels or, or um other methods that kind of bleed into steadiness. I mean, that's where I feel like you're going with barrel work for me at least. And, and I I wanted to hit on this because with cash, I talked about when, you know, I would create movement on top of the, uh, the force fetch table. And then we hit a hard stop, overlay the woe, help, you know, associate the command. There were times when I did use the end of that force fetch table instead of just like walking them down there, just putting them up on the end of the table, just, you know. Essentially a barrel just at the end yeah, of the table. Essentially yeah. a barrel and, 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 you know, not styling them up, but, and I wasn't saying, whoa, but, you know, I would throw an object or different things. But again, I feel like I'm getting into steadiness when I talk about that, which. Well, woe is kind of a, a, again, depending on who you ask and how they define it is kind of the beginning steps to steadiness. And and don't worry about the barrel. You don't have to dance around it because that's one of the episodes that we're going to be doing on the series. So, so we will be going into the barrel for anybody listening to this is concerned that, you know, Austin's hating on barrels again. (laughs) No, I'm not. And that's kind of what I wanted to say is that like, I understand again, you, I had not dealt with, cash when we did that when we did that episode right yep. and so uh, a different dog have to maybe try different methods and so as far as getting him to understand the command woe i mean he would do that everything was is fine on that but when you're overlaying the woe to extend the steadiness sequence in the field and you got birds flushing and different things 
it was a lot for him when he's yeah. a high drive dog. And so you get him back on a on a barrel or end of a table and you're throwing objects or throwing birds or whatever, that helps establish the it, it, it eliminates a lot of things that he can do. It it makes him have to understand that, you know, it, it takes that chase away, you know, and it makes him understand he's gotta stand through things. And I'm probably getting way off topic on talking about that, but um Again, I'm not even sure that the barrel is is a woe a woe tool. I mean, I I, I think it's more of a, a steadiness, you know, tool. And, and so, if we're going to differentiate those things, um, yeah, I don't even know why I brought it up. <laughs> if we're going to differentiate, <laughs> well, them. you'll you'll have to stay tuned and, and yeah. listen to the to the barrel episode. I don't, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go yeah. into that too much. We have an entire episode on that coming very soon. So, uh, but to your point. <clears throat> I look at it as kind of one and the same. It's kind of the difference of you talk to people of, do you use the command stay on a lot of things? Yeah. Like, you know, sit, stay, lay down, stay, go to your bed, stay, place, stay, fill in the blank, stay. Stay is kind of, when you talk to a lot of trainers, they don't they don't have stay in the vocabulary. It's kind of an unnecessary command because if you train the commands, quote unquote, the correct way, I'm not saying that if, if somebody taught their dog stay, like, you know, uh, you know, you did it wrong per se. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to the people that, you know, quote unquote, know better and, and have the experience and the knowledge, stay is implied. It's part of the command. If you, if you give your dog, whoa, they're supposed to stay there until they release. You should not have to say, whoa, stay. Yeah. Right, you shouldn't have to say sit, stay. So, in a way, when you're talking about steadiness, there's really not a differentiation, in my opinion, to steadiness. And this is kind of where I was headed anyway. Is there's certain things that, as a puppy, you you started training yours around five, six, seven months, something like that. Uh, I was kind of the same way. I think a lot of pointing dog guys, you know, when they're six, seven months old or something, different methods or different requirements. But for the most part, I think a lot of people start training their dogs to woe around that time period. Uh, woe is the start of the steadiness, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are certain things that you can do as a puppy before that standpoint in the house, your, your feeding schedule, your doors, all that stuff that we preach about all the time that lends itself not only to woe, but by extension, steadiness. Mm-hmm. And so let's go through those. You know, I just probably named the more common ones, making them wait for their food and, and waiting at the door. But what are some things that that you've utilized that you think directly lends itself to going into woe and then steadiness thereafter. All right. Let me think here. I mean, obviously, yeah, you took the low hanging fruit from, (laughs) um, you know, when they in and out of doors, you know, you hit on that, um, coming out of kennels, um, that's that the kennel one. That's, that's the one I was leaving for you. (laughs) Yeah. Coming in and out or coming out of the kennel, um, uh, answering the door as far as like somebody knocks on the door or whatever. I mean, making sure that, that, well, actually what I try and do on that now is kind of make them place or whatever. So we'll not go down that rabbit hole, but, um, before you feed, you did say that, um, man, I don't know. I mean, there are so many opportunities that come up for you to be able to overlay it as a, as an obedience command. You, You know, I, I, what I kind of do to avoid a lot of the, I try not to say woe more than I have to, okay? Just because I don't want to neutralize the word, mm-hmm. okay? So, you know, I, the main points are what you've already hit on. And so in the house, I try to distract or do a different command, like just place for them to go do their thing while I've got somebody that comes to the front door or while we're eating dinner or whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, I mean, you could, you could overlay it whenever the, it presents itself, whenever you just want the dog to, to stay in a certain spot. But, um, yeah, I think, I can't think of much more beyond what we well, were and, hit on. And you, you pretty much hit on all the things, any opportunity to get your dog, whether it is at a place or on, on, you know, I, I say, go to your bed all the time, you know, just go to your bed. It's essentially a place command, but yeah. they know that it's their bed. Well, I'll say kennel. Yeah. The, the kennel, yeah. the door, all that stuff is what I'm getting at is I'm not using the word, whoa, 
on any of those as a puppy, right? I'm not using the okay. word woe until yeah. we're actually training woe. And so this is when we t- when you hear people talk about like free shaping, you're teaching the behavior and then you're overlaying mm-hmm. the command after the the behavior means something to them, right? And so that's kind of the point I'm getting at is I, I'm training woe. Like Quinn, I haven't started formalizing woe yet. And so she's at that, you know, six, seven month mark. So it's, you know, any time now I'm about to start doing that. But for the most part, I've already been training woe or quote unquote steadiness throughout the house through all of these other opportunities. And that's the point that I want to make to where woe does not start by teaching your dog heel and then slapping a check cord or a prong collar like we just talked about. It starts in the house. It starts with the daily routine. It starts coming out of the kennel. It starts going through the door. All that stuff matters. And so that's the main thing that I'm trying to drive at is get the building blocks and the foundation set underway. And then when you get to the woe training, regardless of which method you choose from, whether it's one of the ones that we just kind of talked about, which are kind of very similar in a lot of ways, yeah. or you go into the woe post, which we're going to talk about, or the place woe, or the standing woe, or the woe barrel, or not even training woe, and you just have the action, right? Mm-hmm. You already have that that action from the dog. You just have to put a name on it and formalize it ultimately. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. I mean... I didn't know that's what you were getting at, but I agree. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's part of, I think that in and of itself is, you know, you're planting seeds, trying to make sure that, um, you know, the, the proper behavior is starting to occur. You're not, you're not trying to, of course, enforce a command that you don't, that the dog doesn't know yet. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's the, the basic concept of obedience is, is, is that they have to know what they're doing before you can enforce it. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Let's get into the uses of woe. We've already kind of touched on the safety aspect of it, uh, and then obviously extending the the steadiness in the field uh, per se. You know whether that be just using the e collar method that we kind of already talked about, but also there's other ways. And you just did a lot of it last year, right? You used woe a lot last year, preparing for your invitational mm-hmm. and getting backing. So. Give me that example of how you used woe to get your dog to back. Okay. Well, we hit on this um, in the Invitational, uh, the the recap, I guess, um, episode that we did. But, I mean, it all, it, it all goes back to making sure the dog has a solid foundation for understanding stop to flush, and um, associating that with with originally the woe command, um, and then you know you're going to overlay the e collar, and then once you start bringing in, and I'm jumping some spots here, but you're going to end up bringing another dog in. The, the whole the whole point of it is is that you know the the dog starts to understand that in certain scenarios it associates this is where I stand. This is where I come into the scenario. Woe means birds. Yeah. What? Yeah. This is where I come in, and I'm going to. Um, I'm just going to stand all the way through until release. And um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the details to give you to get there, and maybe you can help and, refresh me well, on some and of this. I actually just misspoke. Birds means woe. Bo- birds means stop. And so we overlaid the stop to flush mm-hmm. with woe, and so ultimately. By going back and re- and having that solid woe, you had the foundation to extend the meaning of it ultimately. Yeah. And then you, by creating that foundation on stop to flush, you're then able to move into uh, the image of another dog in the field, yeah. which then leads into backing, right? Like yeah. one thing builds off of another, which is the progressive training that we talk about all the time and, and building off of it. This is what I want to differentiate, and this is where my mind goes on on this scenario, is that old school Austin would have taken Scout into a scenario or Cash into a scenario, told him, whoa, and then Bird flushes, you are enforcing the the woe on the collar if the dog moves on the bird, if he moves on the shot, if he moves before release... And you missed every step of actually laying the solid woe foundation by not before you put that dog out in the field, 
doing stop the flush drills to where you have the dog there where you can correct on just understanding bird in the air, I've got to stop. And then doing stop to shot. Shot happens. If, you know, the dog moves and you're doing it in the, you know, training scenario, we're breaking these things down incrementally, then you could, you know, correct the dog on the shot after that. But it all goes back to woe on bird, woe on shot, woe essentially when he sees another dog because he knows that when he sees another dog, a bird might pop. And then you might have a shot that comes after that. And he's got to stand through that. And the point is, is it all ties back to woe. And if you break it down incrementally, you're able to do the building blocks to get to the full sequence to where you have the finished product. Exactly. And that, and ultimately, that's what I was after. <clears throat> you nailed it because you can make woe mean whatever. How many judges have we talked to or set around to where they can tell when a dog is trained to woe by the closing of a shotgun? Like during a test, mm-hmm. They we, we've heard numerous judges tell us stories of how you can immediately tell when that dog has been trained to woe by closing the shotgun because of like people like walk up next to the dog and just close it right next to him. And so you can make, whoa, you can overlay it with anything at ultimately. Well, like, it's all about if, if going back to your example, where if you're doing this the right way and you say, whoa, and that dog's not supposed to move until you release it. And if you have to say, whoa, again, that means technically you didn't do it right then, you know, it's all about enforcing it on the back end as to how far the woe should extend to. Number one, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, talking about the the shotgun example, if the dog, well, let's talk about after the shot since it's going to be easier for me to think through in my my (laughs) head. But if you don't enforce it on the shot, then the dog's going to break on the shot, right? And so if you don't enforce it, on uh, the flush, the dog's going to break on the flush. And so it goes back to really figuring out what level of steadiness that you want and and making sure that once a dog understands the command, he also understands what the finished product's supposed to look like, at least from what your perspective is and what you want, what your yeah. end goal is. And that's what, you know, after years and talking to all these trainers and having the benefit of doing this series, uh, I've learned is if you do these methods correctly, and slowly and intentionally enough and consistent enough. And then you can over, I, I keep using the word overlay. You you can make sure that they are trained through distractions. Mm-hmm. You can add in the different levels of difficulty, distractions, distance, duration, all, you know, all the 3Ds that we all always talk about, right? And so that's the biggest takeaway that I'm, I'm coming away from talking to all these people about woe is, Yes, they're training the dog to stop, but they're also training the duration and the distraction, whether it's other dogs, whether it's birds, whether it's kids running around, whatever. It doesn't matter. By building it up slowly and surely and intentionally, you're going to end up with that dog to where you're not in that field like we were four years ago. The dog goes on point, we say, whoa, and then you just use the e-collar to make them stop after that. And it took... I mean, dude, it took us forever mm-hmm. to get the dogs all the way steady to release. We got there, but how much did we take away from our dogs in the process of doing it that way? Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. It's not the right way to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's just simply It's put, a way of doing it. It got us there. Yeah, but, but it's not the—I can 100% tell you it's not the right way to do it because I can tell you with Scout, it for sure took away from his intensity, and it took yes. a long time— for, for that to be able to get built back up. And, you know, I think that at the end of the day, you've got to figure out, is this something you want to rush through or is this something that you want to, you know, take the, take the time and do it the correct way. And um, I think that if you can break it down in smaller chunks, that's obviously the best thing uh, for the dog and um, is going to end up with the best, you know, product at the, at the end of the day. So, um, I, I thought, so getting back to why Nick calls me and says, Hey, you want to come down and talk about, whoa, just talk about, you know, go before, whoa, or talk about, <laughs> you know, I didn't know we were getting into all the methods, but, um, I, I want to go back to the beginning on all this stuff and, and just say, there is, you, you have to decide what your level of steadiness is that you want. Okay. You have to decide that. 
you know, is it, do I want to take a slow approach or do I want to allow the dog to kind of go free and, and have a, a big time before I try to put any type of parameters on this? And, um, with, with my dogs, it worked out over the long run that everything that I did didn't totally screw them up. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, woe is the, the major foundational, you know, piece to any pointing dog. And it's about being able to get a dog to establish point confidently and controllably. And, um, you know, it'd be all about the pointing instinct and not about you woeing your dog into a scenario to, to basically create that, that, that whole, uh, you know, the whole, the shot sequence, you know, you expectations. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I think, and that's something that when I first got into this, I think I was confused on is that if you're playing the game and you're putting out the birds and you know where they are, you can easily kind of manipulate the situation and help your dog into getting that point by using a woe command, right? Like you want to lure your dog into the scent cone and overlay woe right when you see it getting birdie, right? And in my mind, that is not the way that I would do it now because it's not about making game they're making game you don't woe them in into a point when they're making game it's about allowing that dog to work out that situation once it starts making game and hopefully it it finds point makes point and it establishes its understanding of how close it can work in before the bird flushes or what it can do once it starts getting in that scent before it overpressures the bird and it learns from the bird and the scenarios. Yeah. And and so I wanted to mention that just because if you're new into this, woe is not a way to get your dog to establish point. Yes. That's a very, very important point to make because, again, if you're brand new and you don't know this, say, you know, again, back to our point, a lot of these people start training their dogs five, six, seven months old uh, in their training woe. Because just like us, when we didn't know our left from our right, we're asking people like, hey, you know, maybe a dog's slow to develop their point. How many five, six-month-old dogs have you seen that aren't establishing point yet? Right. And so you can go, and I've heard it at these at NAVDA training days. I've heard it in groups. I've heard it all over the place where somebody's like, well, train them to woe. And then, you know, when they catch scent, woe them. And it's like, that is woeing your dog into a point. There are, there are quote-unquote, better or, or correct ways to do this, but ultimately that's a very good point to make to where if you're new listening to this, if you haven't ever trained your dog to woe, don't go in your backyard and start training woe just yet based on this episode with, with us talking about how we did things a few years ago. It will get your dog a woe, but I want you to sit through this entire series, not even just don't even go off of the next episode or the following one. I want you to go through the entire series and see the common threads between all these trainers and methods right? There's commonalities between all of them. There's differences, you know, there's, there's a reason why they're different methods, but focus on the why as just as much, or if not more than the how. And then at the end of it, have that better understanding, that firm grasp of what woe actually is and what it is supposed to be. And to your point, Austin, it is not supposed to be an established point. It is the dog is supposed to go on point and then you have that tool in your toolbox in case they start to creep or in case they break. You have that in your toolbox to extend the scenario. And I think you just hit on ultimately what I was after when I invited you to come back down on is we didn't know four years ago when we first started doing this. And really it was longer than that. We did the podcast four years ago. We, we trained this this way like seven, eight years ago. But I think that that is something if, if anybody listening to this, you know, this is probably a little more disorganized than my normal episode, right? <laughs> but if they're listening to this, if they take away just You're one welcome. thing. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, if, they, if they take away just one thing out of this entire episode, that is it, okay? Woe is not to establish a point, and you're gaining nothing by the dog goes on point, they're not moving their feet, so there is nothing to correct. There's nothing to give their command to. So 
I don't know if, if that makes sense, if I kind of summed all that up, but ultimately I think that's the main point as you go into this woe series, focus on the why and what woe really is to these trainers. Yeah, and, and I would close this by saying your number one method is wing on a string. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah. We did. I don't know. Should we? Uh, let's not go, go down that rabbit hole either. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, man, it's all about just woes about establishing an obedience command, at least to me. Yeah. And so uh, you didn't you didn't even ask me what what my definition of woe well, is. Well, you're the host. I know. Well, yeah, but you know, and it's funny. I ask everybody, not a single person asked me. All right. So Nick, now that you've done however many episodes on this, <laughs> and you've thought about your answer, and you, you're obviously not put on the spot here, what is your definition of woe? Mine is very simple. Stop moving your feet, and don't move your feet until I tell you to leave again. Yeah. That's it. To to me, stop all movement. And you don't move until I tell you to. That's it. Because it, it is an obedience command, and that's it. And so, you know, it's, uh, but it's funny. I want, I want the listeners' feedback as they go through and they hear every single one of these trainers define it. Again, very close, very similar. End result is all the same. The words and the way people dis- define it are different from week to week. So, again, roundabout way, we, I think we got to the point that I was after ultimately by the by the end of this you but, just didn't ask the right question yeah it, dude it's my fault I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bad host what can i tell you uh but dude it, seriously thanks for coming down it, it's yeah, always man. fun catching up with you and just you know kind of we don't get to do this tailgate stuff anymore and discussions and yeah. just and just debating this stuff you know where we we live too far apart we have kids now uh life's changed a little bit in yeah. the past handful of years but it's it's always a blast having you down for sure and i, I do disagree with you on the stay command as well for the <laughs> what do you use stay on everything everything no i i <laughs> what immediately went into my what my brain went to when you started trying to analogize like okay you know if you do it the right way, you don't have to stay, say stay, is the whole talk about force fetch. If you say fetch, should you have to say hold after you say fetch oh, and all that, that stuff? Man, how many times did we argue about that? Yeah, that's just, and I, I think there are times that you need separate commands for certain things. There and are. So, you know, I, I do sit stay. All right. Hey, so it, that it, is what it is. At the end of the day, does your dog sit? And will it stay there until you tell it to leave? It depends. <laughs> I was trying to give you an out. <laughs> no, I'll say yes. I mean, for the most part, yeah. yeah. They, they know what they're supposed so, to do. So mission accomplished, you know. Yeah. Dude, that's a whole other subject is, is, is the different commands because that's something that, man, me and you have argued, me and Adam used to argue over it. Everybody used to argue over it. But that's the fun part about all of this is we keep saying, quote, unquote, wrong way, right way. Uh, at the end of the day, if the end result gets you what you're after, then, you know, technically, I guess by definition, it was the right way. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that there's obviously hundreds of methods to do any one of these things. And yeah. so you just have to decide what makes sense to you. Yep, exactly. And that's why we have an entire series of breaking out different methods coming your guys' way. So if you were already bored by the, this episode, then, you know, you got a few weeks to, to get through other woe stuff. But, uh, Again, thanks for coming down. I enjoyed the conversation. Guys, stay tuned. I'll hit you on the outro, and uh, we'll see you back next week. See y'all. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Austin Peak. This was presented to you by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, as well as the North American Poodle Pointer Society. So I thought it would be fun to kind of just revisit and catch up with Austin on this, put ourselves back in uh, our shoes a few years ago as we were trying to kind of piece together what woe was and and how to go about training it. Because as you kind of progress through this series that I have put together on, on how to train woe, you're going to hear the more uh, popular and better known uh, methods from trainers that have been doing it much longer than me and know know a lot more. So I thought it would be fun to just kind of get another guy on here that's just kind of like us and and just DIY figuring it out on our own and and just discuss the the growth or I guess what we have learned over the years based on our first initial impressions and and first time through it uh, and then fast forward a few years kind of 
our thought process on it now. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, that being said, you know, it's, it's one of those things we get a lot of questions uh, through the podcast. We've been doing it so long, but number one is force fetch. And we did that series last year and that was really well received. And so I'm excited to get this series on woe going uh, through here and getting your guys' feedback and takes. And, and hopefully you guys find it as valuable as the uh, force fetch series last year. But that being said, we're going to kick this off. Ultimately, next week, uh, we're going to be covering the Woe Post, and I'll save the guest as a uh, surprise for for the listeners. But uh, ultimately, I want to know what you guys would like to hear after this series, or if you have any questions as the series progresses. It might be one of those things to where we do a Q&A or something at the end of this. Uh, who, who knows? But yeah, if you have any uh, tips, suggestions, uh, concerns, questions, gripes whatever shoot it to us at gundogyourself at gmail.com um it is time now uh, i am on the road recording this so there's unfortunately not going to be an extended outro again this week uh just just too much for me to knock out when i'm on the road working but ultimately uh if you signed up for patreon you not only do you get those extended outros that i try and do but you would see that i had a uh, our new video out there for early access for all Patreon patrons. It's a, a Gamble's Quill Hunt from our trip uh, recently to Arizona. So with that being said, they've had uh, early access to that for a couple weeks, and it is time to now get that out to everybody else. So if you haven't already, by all means, go check us out on YouTube. Search Gundog It Yourself. You'll find us. Hit that subscribe button on the channel and watch the video, and let me know what you think. Hopefully it's... Uh, Something you guys enjoy and, uh, you know, learn something and, and be entertained and all that stuff. So by all means, give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. And hopefully you guys really enjoy that. But uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up again. I'm on the road. So, uh, yeah, you know, check us out on YouTube. That's the only housekeeping I'm going to give you guys today. I'm going to spare you all the normal spiel. But uh, ultimately, I just... Go check out that video. Let me know what you think. Hopefully you enjoy this episode and hopefully you're excited as I am to get this woe series out to everybody. So uh, that being said, thanks again for downloading and hitting play as always. And we'll check back next week. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and again year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.